Welcome to Book Rising, a podcast by the Radical Books Collective. Welcome to our Mehfil. I'm your host, Amrita Ghosh. Let me set the mood for this Mehfil by reciting this beautiful couplet composed by Uday Bansal. Tumhari taal se betal, dunia tumhari shok se gafil hai. Takalluf chhod bhi do, aao, ye tumhari hi mehfil hai. This roughly translates as, cast aside your inhibitions and be a part of our celebrations. Today, I get to revisit that moment in my childhood when I would lay awake in bed, scared, because I had been just told a ghost story. And I have no doubts that this sounds familiar to you all. South Asia has a long history of such storytelling, and our guests today are two women who really enjoy writing about ghosts, haunted houses, and a whole range of spooky things. But this is also their way of reflecting on regional histories and traumatic pasts. We are calling this episode Bhut Preet, Ghosts and Zombies, and we will talk about horror in South Asian literature and what it all means. Seher Mirza, writer and journalist, joins us from Lahore, Pakistan, and Jessica Falero is here from Goa, India. Welcome to the studio, Jessica and Seher. Thanks for having us, Amrita. Thank you, Amrita. Thank you for having us here. I am very excited because I've brought you together for a really masala topic, right? Mm-hmm. Writing horror and ghost stories. How did you both even get interested in this? So I could go first, um, if you allow me, Sarah. Okay. Um, again, uh, thanks for the invitation to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Uh, it, it was the topic of my first book, but to answer your question, how did I get into it? So when I was 10, I actually had what I would call a ghostly encounter or a paranormal occurrence or whatever. And um, since that moment, I have been fascinated with and interested in listening to other people's stories. And so over a period of like three decades, I was just collecting other people's stories uh, and listening to what they had to say. And so there was a lot of learning that kind of went into this book. And the, the stories in my book are also little bits of, you know, nuggets of all these stories that were told to me. Um, so yeah, it was a personal thing that led to creating this book. And they're spooky, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you again for having me here. And uh, it's really uh, exciting to be uh, speaking to both of you. And it's always a pleasure to be in a literary company. Yeah. So, uh, in my case, I don't think it was an intentional choice. Uh, uh, but maybe the subconscious mind has a role to play here. Uh, we, we all grow up uh, listening to stories from our grandparents. Uh, in my case, uh, it was, um, you know, the time that I've spent uh, in childhood with my grandmother. And all these uh, uh, stories that I've heard from her are so uh, alive in, in my memory. Uh, my grandmother was uh, born and uh, raised in Kota, Rajasthan. And uh, the memories uh, from her hometown uh, during uh, the, the pre-partition times 
used to be my bedtime stories so my mind would kind of you know vividly visualize the narration of her memories from from kota and uh, you know um, it was uh, sometimes you would also uh, talk about um, the the horrifying tales from the partition of india mm-hmm. so you know uh, when it was uh, the time when the riots and the atrocities broke out in the 1947 so these uh, these stories brought alive the trauma of the partition and uh, uh, i think at a very early age i witnessed the partition the anger the sorrow the wounds of it through through my grandmother's eyes and i believe that the partition of india was the biggest horror faced by the people of the subcontinent mm-hmm. so um, it was an event that kind of uh, uh you know it is considered as the the greatest human tragedies in human history and uh, therefore when i read the stories written about the partition of india um i uh, i you know think of uh, stories written about uh, you know horror and uh, when i read um uh, manto devi krishn chandar Well, let's suppose uh, Amrita Pritham. So all of these uh, stories carry the um, lived horror experiences of people of the subcontinent. So I think uh, we can draw correlations here between horror and uh, and uh, the writings around the partition of India. So this is how I look at it. This is what brought me into it. Somehow. Right, and and you know, I wanted to follow up immediately when uh, Jessica, you said that you had a specific ghostly encounter, and I want to go to that. But uh, in a way, both of you have said that your motivations to come to this topic are different, and I've often heard that you know writers of horror are working through their own fears, and I'm recalling Stephen King famously saying something along the lines that you know. he began writing to drown the scariness in his mind and you know i've read both of your work and you just mentioned seher the motivation for your writing was the horror of the partition and what went along with the violence and jessica your stories are situated with the family the secrets love and longing and the loss um Sahar your story the ghost is about the ghost within and you just mentioned about this traumatic past that we have had in both our countries um are there any other motivations specifically and you both can draw in on uh, and you know ex- extend from what you just said sir and Jessica you can talk about your own other motivations so i guess uh, similar to what sir said earlier there's a subconscious element that kind of enters into it and so for me the the driving motivation uh from an emotional point of view was uh i had this encounter so then i can't talk about it now actually please do um i mean so i've done a, like a long interview which is on youtube which uh actually at, at the go arts and the tea festival in 2012 which is still on youtube which actually talks about this but in in brief i was uh so i i grew up and lived in kuwait for a long time we were on holiday in my grandmother's village in goa visiting and then in the afternoon the the family were like finishing up lunch i'd already eaten i went to the backyard and the house that was beyond our boundary wall was a uh, belonged to an old 
um, miserly uncle who had passed away many years ago and had been boarded up. And uh, so imagine like in an afternoon with, uh, you know, the dead of um, air, sort of there's no breeze, no wind, nothing. It's about two or three in the afternoon. That's the time when everything goes still and then the wind picks up again later. Uh, I was looking towards the house, knowing that nobody lives there. And uh, just inside the closed window pane, I could see a lace curtain moving. And I knew that nobody was there. There's no wind in the air. I was very rational, even, uh, uh, even as a child. Uh, and I, you know, I'm like assessing the in atmospheric conditions. Uh, and I, I had no explanation for what I was seeing. And then, as I kept looking, the the curtain moves, and I can see a rocking chair inside that starts moving. So I was just freaked out. And the whole thing is very visibly boarded, uh, boarded up. Uh, so yeah, I had there was no rational explanation, and the hairs on the back of my neck uh, rose, and then on the back of my arms rose. And the funny thing is, uh, since that point, whenever I do talk to people about their stories, that's a very common thread for people, especially rationalists, when they're having an encounter. They say the oh, and then the hair on the back of my neck raise, rose yeah. up or whatever. You know, and, I just goosebumps too when you were saying yeah that. exactly exactly yeah, yeah. yeah you can you can visualize what's happening yes. actually uh and then i actually dragged my mother out and told her what i was seeing but of course everything was still again and nothing was moving but the story goes on and cut to nine years later i find out from my grandmother that there have been sightings around that house of various things and I swore to my grandmother and my father that I was not visiting my grandmother's house again. <laughs> I, 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 I cannot stand to be, it's our ancestral house, I cannot stand to be around there uh, anymore. And even when I was writing the stories, like I had to stop at five o'clock every evening before dark because my imagination was so switched on, so vivid. I would remember this story. I remember other people's uh, stories as well. So, so from a, an emotional point of view, in a way, I was exorcising that event and that story from my system. Uh, but from a more practical point of view, uh, when I started listening to other people talking about their stories and sharing their stories with me, the funny thing was I realized that, you know, we do have a strong tradition and a culture of people talking about whatever is on their mind. And, you know, the ghost story stuff is very vivid and, and lively and vibrant for people. But I, I realized that we moved into a culture, and, and uh, it's across the world, not just South Asia, where people hold back from telling you these stories. That's been my experience. But then when you share something, they feel this huge relief and permission given to then speak about what they've experienced. And it was incredible to me. Like I used to go on work trips all over the world. And in Malawi, in Bangladesh, we used to go on very long car drives to get to where we had to, to go to do work, uh, development field. Uh, international development stuff. And on those rides, I would be like, okay, close your books. We're not doing any more meeting discussions. Tell me your ghost stories. And oh my God, the next five hours of endless stories. And the, you, you can't believe the stuff people have encountered. Well, what I realized is there are a lot of similar motifs, but also tropes that come up for people. The abandoned house, the uh, animal possessed by human spirit. That's you know, Celtic tradition, any tradition, Pacific Islands, they all have these similar 
uh, tropes coming out in, in their stories, uh, ghost stories. This is really fascinating. And you know, when you were both speaking, I also caught that you both were talking about your grandmothers and the stories that came yeah. from her. It's fascinating <laughs> as well. Um, but you know, uh, Jessica, you mentioned something also uh, particularly interesting in the South Asian tradition, which is the tradition of orality, right? We, I, When you were talking about this story, I was thinking about the story that I heard within the family, I don't know from where, from my grandmother, then my mother and trickling down to me about the house across that had nobody um, residing in it. And yet there was something going on. So we have heard these kinds of stories in oral traditions. And there, you know, we're, I'm thinking iconic stories, like in Bengali tradition, we have the grandmother's basket of stories by Dakshina Ranjan, Mitra Majum, that oh. very famous, it's called Thakur Marchuli. Um, and there are some, you know, horror subgenres associated with it, where the animal is kind of haunted. Um, and there, of course, Vikram and Betal in the tradition. Um, and the tradition of storytelling passes from this generational um, context. But do you both then use this oral tradition, or how do you both this oral tradition specifically in Indian or Pakistani context? And I know, Jessica, you mentioned beyond that also, but how do we then use orality um, within the traditions that we have in India and Pakistan in your writing? So uh, as for uh, storytelling, uh, it is an integral part of the tradition of South Asia. And uh, I think stories are transferred from generation to generation. And uh, that's exactly how intergenerational traumas are transferred between generations. And uh, I think I would like to mention uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet here because I think uh, that was somehow running in my mind when I was uh, thinking of developing this story, uh, The Ghost. And um, it, Hamlet is uh, the best known uh, revenge tragedies uh, ever produced till date. But I also see it as uh, a story about intergenerational traumas. Mm -hmm. So it's like um, the trauma which has passed from one generation to the other, like uh, the, the ghost of the Hamlet's father, which appears in the beginning um, of the play. Um, and he reveals that he's actually not been, uh, he's, it, it was not a natural death but he's been murdered by his brother. So this is the truth, uh, the truth of his father's murder, which continues to haunt uh, Hamlet for the rest of his life. So in this way, I think the ghost of the partition, it continues to haunt the people of uh, the subcontinent. And it kind of creates a fear in the minds of uh, the people. Uh, and this fear is of an imagined enemy, which in case of Pakistan is India, in case of India is Pakistan. So this is the fear of an imagined enemy, which the ghost in my story also kind of represents. And, um, you know, as this fear, uh, actually, it is the fear in us, which is created by the states, propagated by the media houses. And this is, it is the fear, which is then, uh, you know, leads to the hatefulness that we, that people carry in, uh, in their minds or their hearts. So it is, again, the, the aspect of the oral tradition, the passing down of stories 
from one generation to the other the horror stories of partition which uh, kind of um, uh, plays a role in this aspect and also if i speak of my writings uh, i spoke about you know the stories that i have heard from my grandmother and they've had a very uh, profound uh, uh, impact on uh, on my work and my writings which which is uh, visible also there is uh, an interesting aspect here that you know hamlet's uh, father was uh, was poisoned in his years um poison was poured in his ears and i think here we can draw synergies with the fact that how our states and how uh, the uh, you know the the media houses which act as state uh, machineries in both the countries they kind of poison the ears of the people in in the uh, in uh, both the countries and and this is the way they keep us divided because there are too many similarities we have a shared history a shared culture um we have a common language but it is the you know the political lies or the historical lies which are told to us which keep us divided then and this is kind of poisoning of ears and this is this when that we got to see in uh, hamlet as well so i think that was somehow uh playing in my mind um I find it very interesting sahar uh, that you are actually drawing your sort of motivations from you know of course the great uh, hamlet plot and the revenge tragedies that you spoke about um and i also think that you know it's kind of the hauntings that we are, i'm thinking completely of the remaking of hamlet in the subcontinent especially uh within kashmir it's recreated this uh, yes. fantastic film heather and how it has been uh, sort of recrafted into hamlet's revenge tragedy but talking about the hauntings in kashmir specifically mm. um but i also want to talk about the title of your uh book i mean i read the ghost and i really liked it mm. but the title of your book is the other in the mirror which is a very spooky and eerie title um am i right to think then you're working specifically with the historical trauma um can you talk to us about the title and the other uh, stories yeah yeah sure yeah so um uh, first of all thank you for reading the story and for the appreciation it, it really means a lot and yes you're right i i am working with the themes of intergenerational uh, trauma loss nostalgia and migration and uh, all all of these uh, are kind of dominant themes in the uh, stories in the anthology as well so um uh, talking about the the title of the anthology uh, it it has a, a deeper meaning um it somehow depicts the the urge in the people on both si- on both the sides of the border to point out the flaws in the other and the and this you know this this common act of transferring the blame and the responsibility from ourselves to the other so mm-hmm. this is exactly what we get to see happening in a lot of uh, the verbal uh, heated exchanges between the politicians um between uh, politicians of the uh, two countries and as i mentioned earlier the media houses exactly do the same so it's like a mirror image yes um so uh, the title actually means that you know when you are pointing one finger um at the other mm-hmm. there are three fingers that are pointing back at you 
so it is in fact uh, a reflection of yourself that you see in the mirror and which you think is the other but that's uh, actually you yourself exactly so uh, that it it points out to the similarities that we have even you know our hatred is so similar so you get to see this uh, uh, mirror effect in most of the stories in the anthology whether uh, so these two countries are like can be seen as identical twins sometimes they are imitating each other and despite the the, the point of separation the circumstances that led to their separation since they have a shared uh, past they they have uh, common roots so that's what binds them together as well and uh, uh, this is what is uh, uh, they remain on somehow on parallel lines in understanding each other as well while remaining very distant from it so uh, i really love the fact that you talked about the syncretic shared past but how they haunt us into dividing in this kind of creation of the other it, it's fascinating um jessica i'm going to turn to your book i really enjoyed it after lives and part, part of it you also answered that you know there are these stories in the family um i was also struck by how goa the as the space itself as a rich historical space lends itself to the stories interweaved in so many different ways in so many different um shorter uh plot and segments and i'm even told that there are ghost story uh, ghost stores in the city can you say a bit more about goa and horror specifically sure yeah so um so so if you look at uh gothic fiction and the elements of gothic fiction uh then you have you do have a new burgeoning kind of area of south asian gothic uh and then there's i've been reading about bombay gothic and so i'm actually uh writing work on goan gothic there's bangkok gothic there's you know and then yeah there's a lot of uh, stuff going on and and the specificity of goan gothic being yes there is this commonality of the 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 gothic elements of demons and curses and ghosts and monsters and all that sort of uh part of it and then the common themes of betrayal loss desire uh revenge uh isolation uh this belonging and dislocation those kinds of things and then you have the more uh let, let's say post colonial aspects so yes. with goa particularly unlike the rest of a lot of most of the rest of india uh we were uh, colonized by the portuguese and so there's a very different feel and texture and and impact on the on the literature as well on goan literature of which there is some cultural production happening i do i i think the scale needs to to go up and improve but and then within that as we know you mentioned vikram and betal it's one of the first uh noted written stories uh you know going back to what is it 10th or 11th century 11th i think um in the katha sarat sagar mm. uh, of a ghost story so but but since then between then and like 100 years from then this it's been, it's just stayed in the oral tradition of storytelling and being passed down and like sarah said you know the intergenerational trauma of um all the dislocation and the belonging and the wars between dynasties and colonialism after that it has all kind of been infused 
if we just want to narrow it through the lens of the ghost stories, uh, which are very powerful and heady uh, things, if you want to see them as a literary device in their own right. I mean, um, and, and so so my so my stories, I won't talk about all of them. I mean, well, there's a frame. So I uh, the stories very naturally came to me that there was a family. Yes, that we're going to be exchanging these stories to each other. So there's a frame narrative, just and I as there that. is. Yeah, it worked. It worked very well. So I actually did it as uh, the the first book was a thesis I did as my part of my MA in creative writing, and I had a tutor that didn't tell me what it needed, but sort of steered me towards lots of different things that ended up being interesting frame narratives, and it, it made sense to me that there was going to be this this story, this um, family, and there are diaspora family which is a very strong part of the Goan culture. Historically, we have been known to be on caravels, Portuguese caravels, and we travel and, you know, we were the first, like among the first migrants to the Gulf and all this sort of thing. So Goans themselves are very, are not that insular with their country. They are happy to, you know, get on a ship, get on a flight, get, get away, you know, like, and, and come back. But they're happy with, so mobility has been a big part of, Goan culture and the Goan diaspora, a big part of it as well. So, so my book is seen through like one lens is diaspora literature, then Goan literature, post-colonial literature, but then also and particularly Luso in the you know uh, Indo-Portuguese literature. Mm -hmm. But then uh, it's also been captured uh, in narratives of the Indian Ocean because of the movement. And if you talk about the the just the colonial aspect, one of the stories, and this is what I wanted to say. The beginning. So this is a story of uh, family secret, and the beginning is the start of the secret, and that sort of goes through. I think it's three generations. I even forget. I think it's three generations or four generations of the Fonseca family, and the secret comes out in the midst of this storytelling that happens, where everyone sort of starts swapping stories, and towards the end, uh, the the patriarch says, "Well, if you really want a story, here's you know the secret of the family." Yeah. and do with it what you will <clears throat> and and the beginning is actually talking about intergenerational trauma and historical perspective i i played with a timeline to do with the portuguese inquisition which is something almost nobody has written about and very little captured in in literary fiction yes. and it's it's the story of the sephardic jews so the inquisition was actually invited to goa uh to handle or take care of or weed out the Sephardic Jews that were escaping uh, persecution from Spain and Portugal and then came to Goa to make their living through the trade routes uh, and then ended up having the Inquisition come to Goa and follow them there and try, you know, actually put them through the lens of the Inquisition to test mm -hmm. whether they were actually in the Catholic faith or pretending to be. And so that was the birth of the Inquisition in Goa. But a lot of people, most people, have forgotten that narrative and think that it came just to, um, uh, to uh, uh, what should I say, to, to, as part of the Hindu and Catholic kind of divide, to create and solidify that divide. Uh, and that was not the inception of the Inquisition in Goa. It took a few years, a few decades, before it then uh, widened its remit. So that was important for me to sort of play with the timeline a bit. But I put that into the literary fiction format. And that is the most obvious, I think, to me, political intergenerational trauma kind of 
story and the horrors of the Inquisition are, are kind of documented. Uh, so that's actually this, a story I bring alive in there where there's a priest, he's not, you know, he's not a perfect man, he's a complex person and this whole Fonseca family has actually, yeah, spoiler alert, has been birthed through his infidelity to his faith in a way, if you want to characterize it that way. But, you but, know, yeah. as we were talking, I was also thinking somebody needs to do a film on this. You know, the Fonseca family is so interesting and we spoke about this first here. <laughs> but, you know, I, I love the fact that perhaps then your motivations are not so different from each other. There is this yeah. kind of history of colonialism and the intergenerational trauma that you're working with um, in specifically different ways or the rhetoric is slightly different, forms are different. Um, and I'm also thinking, you know, if you think about the South Asian works or writings, specifically um, as Jessica, you mentioned that there's now this Bombay Gothic, which I was not uh, privy to. So that sounds fascinating if you can talk to us more about. Um, it's mostly a film thing. It's been captured in the 1950s um, vintage Hindi films onwards. So yeah. Hmm. Um, and we're talking about popular Hindi films, the, the ghost stories and the hauntings and the empty houses kind of. Yes, the abandoned old house in, in the middle of Bombay that no one touches and knows about, but it's chock-a-block full of uh, all sorts of creepy things. And, yes, you know, and the new residents come in and things happen in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also thinking in the South Asian tradition, we have this recurring symbol of this tree, the ancient tree, the banyan, or um, other trees that are a source of this spirit or jinns or ghosts inhabiting the tree. And it's such an interesting trope where such a regenerative symbol is now then used as a source of fear or horror, usually of the other. Um, and I think, Seher, your story, The Ghost, also has this, you know, border no man's land where there's, you know, the sightings of this ghost is around a tree. Yeah. What do you think of this recurring trope? Yeah, yeah, that's a very interesting question, actually. Yeah, also because I think the subconscious also plays a role here. When uh, it's interesting that my story begins with with a tree, and yeah, so it, yeah, so uh, in in India and Pakistan, uh, trees are you know often used in ghost stories, like you just said. And I think it's because of the cultural significance and, you know, sometimes the beliefs surrounding them. Mm. So the trees have, they've played a significant role in the history and the mythology of these two countries. Mm. And, um, you know, sometimes the trees are also considered sacred in many tra traditions. So like in, in, in Hindu mythology, Trees are associated with various, uh, perhaps, gods and goddesses, and they are seen as, uh, you know, uh, as, uh, um, you know, believed to have uh, certain specific uh, powers and properties. Um, similarly, if we speak of uh, uh, the Sufi tradition, so the trees are also regarded as sacred, and Sufi saints you know, used to believe that they have meditative properties and sometimes miracles <laughs> happen under trees. So, uh, 
uh, also i think there is another aspect to it that if we talk of the rural areas in both both the countries uh, trees are also uh, the the focal points of community gatherings and uh, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes rituals and uh, so the importance of trees is like deeply ingrained in the culture so mm-hmm. um, maybe that's the reason why we get to see uh, the uh, trees as a recurring element in the ghost stories and also this is how they kind of reflect the uh, tension between the modernity and the tradition and mm-hmm. how we are like sticking to the uh, old beliefs our superstitious beliefs so which are you know um, deep rooted just like these trees are you know rooted mm-hmm. in our amazing uh, yeah so this is what i think i think that's true i mean i never thought about you know it's not just the haunting of something fearful but also kind of as you mentioned the question of miracles that you know i yes. i think there are same there ruins and spaces um at graves where people come to pray even to the jinns right like for miracles or fulfillment of prayers so that's so true um jessica yeah so something uh, slightly different uh struck me when you talked about you mentioned the regenerative symbolism of trees and um what came to my mind is uh you, i think you mentioned rebirth as well which is a very strong symbolic thing um that you see in a lot of like religion religious yes, kind of uh, symbolism um what struck me is so this it reminded me of a conversation i had with an author friend recently where in her book uh it's it's not really about ghosts and all but there's a slight there's a small bit that's like related to haunting and i asked her about it because of my curiosity and what she describes is something that she told me actually uh was based on stories she collected from her local village where people uh, the last generation used to see what they thought were coffins uh traveling over the roofs of houses and it it all was a, a sort of a foreshadowing of someone's death a very sudden usually brutal death and so she was and she said i explored this uh imagery that people were leaving me with and they had a very strong belief the last generation that they were seeing this and what it was was accurate and true because immediately after they were relating it to some burglary that had happened and somebody had had been killed by the brutality or something and she said she realized that that overlaid with the time during uh, just around the second world war go wasn't really actively a part of it but because it was part of portugal and sort of neutral uh, mm. compared to the rest of anglo india uh it was used as a base a neutral base mm. and so people would see planes flying overnight and it it looked like so when they from the angle where they stood as they looked up to the rooftops it looked like coffins traveling over the tops of the roofs uh-huh. and the, and she said the thing is it stayed in their psyche because this was a time of large upheaval uh, it was still before the rule of salazar or under the rule of salazar it was a horrible dictator in portugal but the goans seemed to think he was a okay and at the same time it played in their psyches and something stayed in it because it was a time of upheaval uncertainty and change and she was saying to me that she researched this and i think it was freudian uh her research was freudian in in that uh it was known that during a time of upheaval and change and uncertainty 
people had sort of these these deeply embedded mm. hauntings and very brutal imagery that would stay in their minds and it was very sort of psychosomatic but mm. it was created in their mind and they thought it was real and so in but their minds these were real occurrences but these were dreams actually that happened to the folks not dreams so not dreams they were seeing the planes flying over as but a collective village they believed they were coffins be traveling over the the edges of the roofs that is fascinating um, child yeah. roof and so it stayed in the psyche and it moved into the next generation as oh when i was young you know this is what we saw and then somebody died in the village which is like the chinese whisper kind of thing but yes. actually she researched it and found out there was this political uh background to it mm-hmm. and it's because of the uncertainty and the levels of fear and anxiety in people that mm-hmm. this emotionality actually gets converted into this this haunting in their head uh, mm-hmm. and so they make try to make sense of it by you know creating this paranormal thing around it uh which i found very interesting but when you said the rebirth and you talked about trees it reminded mm-hmm. me of how a a tree being you know linked to rebirth and change mm-hmm. and exactly. the uncertainty around change not not many can't handle that you know people can't handle change they don't like change they want to reject it they find ways to deal with it they find ways to not deal with it and so it reminded me of the story of how people were just so frightened of change that they rewrote things in their head as hauntings you know i'm thinking about what jessica you said that this is you know there's a lot of work happening in horror and suddenly emergent kinds of horror in south asia mm-hmm. beyond what we have seen mm-hmm. in um bollywood popular hindi films and i recently saw this award winning film i think it won a couple of awards in bangladesh it's called moshari the mosquito net and it was the only qualified um film that was qualified for oscars and it's a very creepy film and has again the past of colonialism annual colonialism climate change weaved into it and it seems like we're seeing more and more films like um these coming up in the south asian um context and also the fiction itself do you see that there's some kind of a trend in pakistan sahar or in india jessica Okay so I have to say that I don't watch a lot of Indian cinema uh so but I do I am aware that there is more being captured but I think that's been a long time coming where ghost stories have sat within the oral storytelling tradition for the longest time ever especially mm-hmm. compared to other genres of fiction and now we're seeing uh more coming out I mean I think uh in europe in the uk in the us they've established it over the last 20 30 years probably and it's one of the most popular uh modes of entertainment and now indian cinema south asian cinema is uh picking up on this uh trend you know they want to capitalize on it yeah. i think that we're still not seeing you know where the literary form could could there's so much space for it to explode actually Absolutely. and we're still not seeing that um but i think it'll come uh slowly yeah so yeah. yeah thank you for mentioning this interesting film uh from bangladesh i would like to watch it sounds interesting 
I think it's on YouTube. I think it's now available on YouTube. Oh, it is. Yes, yes. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think uh, horror has always been a popular genre in uh, in South Asian cultures, uh, with stories of uh, ghosts uh, dating back uh, centuries. But I think I also think that you know the rise of digital media and a lot of streaming platforms that we have now. Uh, it has kind of uh, made these uh, horror films more accessible to people, and yeah. now we also uh, see a very, uh, you know, uh, growing demand for uh, such, uh, you know, new or innovative content. Hmm. So maybe that's also an aspect. But um, um, horror genre has, you know, always also been used as a a tool for social commentary which is also mm-hmm. engaged by a story so exploring issues of gender caste religion or uh, you know um, so that also plays a role and uh, this allows filmmakers and writers to not uh, only entertain but also educate and raise awareness about uh, important social issues perhaps I do agree. I mean, I do think it it's there historically, but also as Jessica, you also mentioned that it's it's a trope and a genre that has not been really there in the writing so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also interested through the conversation we are talking about how they have resistant possibilities. They are rethinking the past and its impact on the present. But do these stories also allow us to overcome these fears, the fears of the unknown, or they? Do they instill new fears amongst us? How do you both as writers walk this line when you write about these topics? Do they instill new fears? <laughs> uh, I think because um, literary fiction will always move, uh, like Sarah said as well, into a social commentary of the time. Uh, and history will repeat itself. So literary fiction will, I suppose, repeat some of the lessons that have not been learned. But that will always be imbued, whether it's ghost stories or you know any kind of uh, fiction. I mean, ghost stories sort of written well that kind of do the job that they want to do, but this underlying subtext being there's this sociopolitical commentary that uh, wants to be seen. Um, so yeah, I... I I think, and will it instill new fears? Uh, you know, look at the lives we're living and the world we're living. And you mentioned uh, climate change earlier. And I, I'm not sure, I haven't yet read, not to say that they're not out there, but I haven't yet read a climate change ghost story kind of thing mm-hmm. yet. Uh, and yet there are hauntings around uh, what is happening with climate change. And it's a serious kind of, horror for many people, haunting many people, definitely creates a huge amount of social anxiety for people. Um, So yeah, it is, you know, the new fear is there and that will be imbued into a ghost story or literary fiction or or whatever, I think. Um, Maybe that's a challenge for me to attempt that next. I don't know, yeah, but. Thank you, Jessica Sahar. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Amrita, can you repeat this question once for me? Sure. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, you're both working on all, all of these stories that um, are 
resistant in some ways and rethinking the past and its impact on the present. But how do you then think about these stories also creating new fears? Do they instill new fears in us? How do you write about them so that you know these kinds of divisions are not um, propagated even more? Yeah, so uh, the, um, in, in my case, like you said earlier, my story has political implications. And uh, so it can be seen as a political satire as well. So true. Um, yeah. So uh, um, it is, you know, uh, talking about creating new fears is in this case is uh, not so apt. But I think um, uh, that, you know, the, the, the like I uh, spoke earlier about the horrors of the partition that continue to haunt us. So, um, in this case, I think, which was the main idea behind this anthology as well, uh, that we need to get over all of this hatefulness and we need to create healing spaces. And, um, uh, you know, the best way to do this is by pushing ahead the narrative of love and compassion. And the fear that that I have in me is uh, I, I get really afraid of uh, the hatefulness and when, when I get to see um, people trolling on social media, the, the increasing hate, hateful narrative that is pushed in both the countries. So that is the kind of fear which, which I, I carry. And this was my way of dealing with that. I agree with you. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So and I also like the fact that it's a satire, so that you know it's actually the fear within us, right? Yes, fear within us. Absolutely. Jessica. Oh, um, well, I don't really have anything to add about I that. But you both one final question. Yeah. And that would be: Is there one favorite ghost story? that you have. I'm thinking about, in my case, it would be one of the stories of Ruskin Vaughn that I grew up with. Is there one favorite story that you both can recall? Which is the Ruskin Vaughn one from, of yours? I think the the man with no eyes, the, the one. Uh, oh, I don't know that one. I've read all his, I thought I'd read all his ghost stories. Okay. Um, maybe if you told really, me. Really, really creepy one. Again, yeah. Um, Okay, I so I have one called um, The Ghost Who Fell in Love, which is uh, written by Vinita Coelho, who is um, a screenwriter and lots of things, but she's, she's very good at the visual image. It's a story with almost no dialogue. It's set in some era in northern India. It feels like it's old-worldly and all these labyrinthine rooms, but it's essentially a story about a ghost that sees a newlywed bride brushing her hair on the terrace and then falls in love with her and then obsesses over her and then follows her. And it's a story about domestic violence. So through the ghost's eyes, we see domestic violence, uh, you know, between this newlywed couple playing out and how you see the patriarchal elements playing out and how the, the women support the patriarchy. And there's this very subtle, but sometimes not so subtle violence in the story, which isn't explicit, uh, very nuanced, beautifully handled. 
And for me, it's essentially a story about the existence or non-existence or non-acknowledgement of female desire. And the story ends in a very open-ended way with the new bride who was uh, attached to her husband now moving away from the husband towards the presence that she becomes aware of, of this ghost. Um, and yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible story. She becomes attached to something she cannot see, but she knows is there. Um, and it's just very isn't powerful, and I teach it. Oh, you do? But isn't yeah, there a story? I, I'm thinking of um, the film, and I cannot recall the film. It was it was qualified and went to the Oscars and didn't win it from uh, Shah Rukh Khan and Rani Mukherjee. And Shah Rukh Khan is the ghost figure, falls in love with Rani Mukherjee. Oh, and yeah, her I, that called Paheli? Paheli, that's the one I'm thinking of. Oh, I haven't seen that. I have to see that. that. Very, okay. very similar trope. Yes. It wouldn't surprise me if it was actually Vinita's story because she writes for Bollywood. Uh, she's a screenwriter for Bollywood, actually. Um, however, the, the most interesting thing for me is we, di we didn't mention this earlier and about uh, the tropes of, of ghost stories and female sexuality, well, dark desires yes. in general, if you look at European yes. Gothic, but female sexuality and female desire in particular being, uh, that's a huge interest for me in how it's captured and in ghost stories it can be handled very well actually yeah thank you that's a good reminder that it, uh, desire does, does play into uh, south asian narratives of the you know the other female haunting yes seher any favorites uh i think it's uh, it's a very difficult to pick one but uh i think i've been been uh, quite intrigued by the Gothic literature uh, written during the Victorian era. So the um, what comes to my mind is Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte mm -hmm. and uh, Charlotte Bronte's uh, uh, Jane Eyre, perhaps. Yeah. The classic ethics. Yeah, and I also think that you know uh, there were uh, gloomy um, and Gothic elements that can be seen in the writings of Charles Dickens as well. So mm -hmm. maybe Bleak House and Oliver Twist, Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol, yes. yes. And I so, do have to say, when I first read, read Wuthering Heights, that hand that knocked at the window with the winds howling, that image. Oh, God. <laughs> that is actually like one of the creepiest books and atmosphere yes. done so well. So much, yeah. yes, yes. Again, like, you know, it lends itself to the story, the setting itself completely. But thank when you. you said Victorian, you, sorry, when you said Victorian, you actually reminded me one of my other phases, The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, mm -hmm. uh, who, who wasn't set in the Victoria, but yet it is a very Victorian story. And I love it because it's a novella, but it's uh, open to interpretation it? and it all could have been psychosomatic. And that's the story that inspired me to write about psychological hauntings. I was like, mm. oh, this is different. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that reminded me. Well, thank you both for a fantastic, very exciting episode at Mayfield. Thank Thanks you so for much. having me. Thank you. Thank you.